First John chapter 1. First John 1, verse 5. First John 1, verse 5. This, then, is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins to Him, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Five times, beginning in verse 6, we have five conditions, beginning with the word F, if. That's the title of the message tonight, if, if. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say we have fellowship with Him, but walk in darkness. But if we walk in the light as He's in the light, if we confess our sins to Him, I want to just take a moment this evening to acknowledge this word, if, in our life, and ask that God would prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. Father, bless Your Word, we pray this evening, just as the Holy Spirit inspired John to write it to a struggling congregation, a struggling church body there in the midst of dealing with the heresy known as Gnosticism. And though our message is not going to get into that tonight, we do pray this evening that you'll help search us deeply and work in our hearts that tonight you'll be glorified. Use this message to purify our hearts. The Bible says, Thou sanctifies through thy truth, thy word is truth. And then Jesus said in John 15, 3, He said, Now you are clean, through the word which I've spoken unto you. We want to be clean tonight, Lord. We want to come clean. We want to be clean. We want to be right in the sight of God. Bless our service tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In a few moments, we'll be taking the Lord's Supper. I'm excited about this. The Lord's Supper is one of two ordinances our Lord Jesus Christ gave to His local New Testament church. The first ordinance is the ordinance of baptism, scriptural baptism, immersion by water. The second one is the Lord's table, which was instituted on the night of the Last Supper. That night, Jesus took his final meal before he was crucified with his disciples, those, those 12 men, 11 men actually, because Judas was not there. Then he instituted what we know as the Lord's Supper. Now... The Lord's Supper goes by other names. It's also known as the Lord's Table, and it's also known as Communion. The word Communion is a very beautiful word. The word Communion in the Greek translation is the word Koinonia. Koinonia is a powerful word. It's a beautiful word. Sometimes it's not really well represented. But the word Koinonia is where we get our word fellowship from. 
We get our word communion, distribution, communication, and participation. In 1 John 1, verses 5 to 10, the word fellowship is used here. And actually in this chapter, I think it's used four times. The word for fellowship is the word koinonia. Interesting. Fellowship, communion, communication, distribution are all covered by the word koinonia. It's all the same. The same idea, the same emphasis, the same meaning. Tonight we're looking at fellowship with God. We're looking at our relationship with God. Now I want to say two things in the, in the introduction about that. Number one, as we consider our relationship with God, the first thing I want you to think about with me is the term sonship. S-O-N-S-H-I-P. Sonship. S-O-N-S-H-I-P. Sonship is the relationship we have with God the moment we receive Jesus Christ as Savior. When you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, you and I automatically become a son of God. John 1.12, one of my favorite verses. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You become a son of God by adoption. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 verses 14 to 16, and Galatians chapter 4 verses 5 and 6, that we have received the adoption of sons. Now bless God, if you know Jesus Christ your Savior, you are a son of God, and that's shouting ground right there, amen? We thank God for that. You are in the family, and you cannot lose that. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Not, you have to do, there's nothing you need to do to stay in the family. God takes care of that. So there's sonship. But there's a second aspect about this relationship. And the second aspect about this relationship is the word fellowship, what we're studying tonight. <coughs> fellowship is our ongoing, day-by-day, moment-by-moment relationship we have with the Lord. Now, a good example is when my wife and I got married, we were wedded together, we were married, but after we're married, we continue to have fellowship. It's an ongoing thing. Fellowship, God wants you and I to have sweet, intimate fellowship with Him. Sonship cannot be broken, but fellowship can. Sonship cannot be broken, but fellowship can be broken. So here's what's going on. We are, we, in our sonship, we, in our sonship we, have, we have relation with God. We're brought into the family. We're always in the family. That, that will never be broken. But fellowship can be broken. And as we'll see tonight, the one thing that can break fellowship is sin in our life. Now, even though fellowship can be broken, you're always in the family. You'll never lose that. But fellowship tonight, we want to understand, if fellowship is broken, can it be restored? And the answer is yes, unequivocally, fellowship can be restored. So I want you to consider with me some, some thoughts and some lessons tonight about fellowship with God and its application to the Lord's Supper and communion. Number one, would you write this down? I want you to consider with me the requirement for fellowship. The requirement for fellowship. We're going to look at verses 5 and 7. Now, God wants us. I'm going to give you a really powerful statement. God wants all of us to have maximum fellowship with, you, with Him. He wants us to have maximum fellowship with Him. God wants you and I to always have an over-the-top, mountaintop experience with Him. He wants us to have a mountaintop like, we, like we've been to camp and we've heard preaching, we've got our lives right, we've gotten cleansed by the Word of God. He wants you and I to have a maximum fellowship with Him. Now, 
The Bible tells us something in verse 5 about this, about this requirement of having maximum fellowship. Notice verse 5. We have to look at this requirement here with it. First of all, we see in verse 5 an unalterable character. The Bible says, this then is the message we have heard of him and declared to you. Listen to this. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now that is a very powerful statement about the unalterable character of our, of our God. God is light. God is pure. God is holy. God is glorious. It is an unalterable characteristic about God. You notice it starts out by saying God is. I like that. I like those two words, God is. God is tells us that God is eternal. God always is, always was, always will be. God is eternal. God is, ex is infinite. God is preexistent. God is the same. He is unchanging. But God is light. God has always been light. God shines in darkness. There is no darkness in God. When we read that verse of Scripture, it says God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We understand that God is holy, that there is no sin in God. God cannot sin. God cannot lie. God cannot make a fault. Listen, there's nothing unrighteous about God. Everything about our God is that he's a righteous and holy God. Now notice this, in contrast to God, men love darkness rather than light. Our tendency, because we're born with a sinful nature, is to gravitate towards darkness more than light. Now God in His light sheds His light abroad to help us see the darkness to help us see the sin, to see how we pale in our significance compared to Him. We see the unalterable character. We see the unwavering condition. Look at verse 7. The last part of verse 7 tells us this, or the, the, beginning, the middle of verse 7. It says, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Now, the condition for fellowship is very cut and dry here in verse 7. God is light, and for us to have sweet fellowship and a mountaintop experience with Him, we must walk in the light. We must be in the light always. So in other words, it's helping us understand an analogy that's very understandable. Walking with God means we must be close to God. We must abide in God. Walking in the light means we walk in the light of the Word of God, that we spend time in prayer that we talk to God, as we saw, talked about this morning. We sing to the Lord. You know, we have these basic rules. Uh, Amos 3.3 gives us a basic rule about fellowship. It says, can two walk together except they be agreed? If we're not on the same page with God, our fellowship is strained. Our fellowship can be hurt. Our fellowship has some bumps in the road. Our fellowship can be broken. Walking in the light means we do not have a double life. Walking in the light means we delight in having fellowship with God. Walking in the light means we delight and we, we seek to please God. Walking in the light means we, we resemble and characteristic His essence of light. Listen to this, Isaiah 2.5. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Ephesians 5.8. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. 
walk as children of light. If we, the Bible says here in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. We don't set the conditions. God has set the conditions. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, that means God draws us to him. And just as we watch the, the setting of the sun, some of our cars are parked here at 430 and 445. There is great sunlight, but the sun is shifting now and it's getting darker. In order for us to enjoy the light, we've got to stay in the light. We have to continuously be in the fellowship with God. So there's a requirement. God requires us very simply to walk in the light of his word, to be in fellowship with him. Hey, thank you tonight for coming to church. Just coming to church tonight, you're representing that you're in fellowship with God, that you desire the sweetness of his fellowship. We see the requirement, but we see a second thing tonight. And the second thing we see tonight is the rupture. There is a rupture in our fellowship. There is a potential of a rupture in fellowship. We find that verses 6, 8, and 10. Look at verse 6 with me and zone in with that verse, please. Verse 6 says, if we say, if we say we have fellowship with him, in other words, we're telling other people and telling ourselves we have fellowship with him, and instead we walk in darkness. Walking in darkness means maybe nobody else sees it, but God knows about it. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, listen to what the Bible says. We lie and do not the truth. That's very piercing. That's extremely convicting. It's telling us in verse 6, fellowship can be broken. What can rupture it? Sin. Even though we have a new nature when we get saved, the old nature is still with us. We have the flesh, we have the spirit. The spirit fights with the flesh, and the flesh fights with the spirit. These two are contrary one to the other. It's a battle we have every day. When you roll out of bed first thing in the morning, your flesh is fighting you. Your flesh is not in the mood to pray. Your flesh is not in the mood to read the Bible. When you got up this morning, your flesh fought you. Your flesh said, oh, you know what, stay in bed a little bit longer, stay home. Because, you know, we have a church as live stream, and you can just worship God just as well by watching by live stream, and, you know, all these kind of things. And, you know, the, the flesh is constantly fighting us there. But First John 1 gets to the heart of the problem with every born-again believer. He says, if we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. And I thought it's very interesting, right there in verse 6, God goes right to the heart of the matter. I might, as a pastor, tell you why well, I'm in fellowship with God, but God knows whether I really am in fellowship with Him. And God says when we're really not in fellowship, we're just telling people we lie and do not the truth. Now, here's the, here's the truth of the matter, brother and sister in Christ. Here's the truth of the matter. The problem, John is pointing out in these verses 6 to 10, the problem is the sin of lying among Christians. Like Van Tafter used to say, Christians don't lie, they only sing them. I like to tell you, Christians do lie. All of us. All of us are living at times a big, fat lie when we consider verse 6. We talk and boast we have fellowship with God when the truth is, maybe we are walking in darkness. Now, we sent out earlier this week by email, and it should have been posted for you again, 
what I titled the spiritual life self-evaluation. I'm going to go over it a little bit later towards the end of the service. The spiritual life self-evaluation looks at our spiritual life in three dimensions. Sins of the mouth, sins of the mind or emotion, sins of motion, those that we actually do with our flesh, our body. I put that out because I feel for many, many years, as we've had the Lord's table, we talk about sin, but we so generalize it that I wonder in my heart of hearts, have we really called out our sin, as the Bible describes we should, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Have we really confessed specific sins? Because when it talks about confession, it's talking about specific sins. It's helping us to think about have we, inter- have we looked at the Word of God and let it speak to our heart? And we're going to look at these in a little bit here to help us here. I feel there's some questions we have to ask ourselves. Are we glossing over or ignoring sin in our life? Are there secrets, hidden things, practices, and even uncleanness in our life? Is there an ongoing pattern of resisting, of grieving, and quenching the Holy Spirit? As I preached about last week, is the joy of Jesus Christ missing in your life. And you find yourself parked in a little corner where you're miserable and always critical. Are you at the place where you're talking that you have fellowship with Him, but walking in darkness? Look again at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Listen to what James chapter 3, verse 14 says. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. Now, I'm going to tell you about four lies very quickly tonight. Four lies that we tell ourselves. Lie number one is found in verse 6. Lie number one is to the saints. Lie number one is I walk, I try to present myself, that it looks like I'm at church, I'm, in, I'm doing the church thing, I can pray in public very well. I can read the Bible articulately, publicly, and all these things. I show it well. But the Bible says if we say we have fellowship with Him, but in reality we're walking in darkness, God says we're lying and do not the truth. There is no truth in us. Line number one is to the saints. Line number two is to the Spirit of God. Look at verse 6 again. The Bible says we lie and do not. Do you know who are we lying to? We're not just lying to God's people. We are lying to a holy God, to the Spirit of God. I'm reminded this evening over there in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. You might turn to that. Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? What happened there? The church was experiencing... A great movement of God's grace. There was a giving spirit. God's people were giving. And the giving was so over the top. People were selling their real estate and giving all of the proceeds back to the church. They were presenting it at the apostles' feet and saying, here, you take this and use it for whatever you need. Now, you've got to remember, the whole concept of giving in the local church was just, was, just, it was, not, was just kind of finding its way. It's making its way through there. The church is still young. And believers were going through tough times, and, and believers who had real estate were basically selling it and saying, here, take all the proceeds, use it for whatever purpose. 
Ananias and Sapphira started recognizing this, and they saw that there was a man by the name of Barnabas who got recognized for, for this. The recognition basically saying, hey, brethren, look at this. Here's a man, a Jewish believer from the island of Cyprus, who came here. He's making his, partial, his temporary residence here in Jerusalem. He was so moved by, what, by this prayer meeting we had. He took a piece of real estate, which as a Levite, he wasn't even supposed to own real estate. It was a family inheritance. He took his family inheritance, the only thing he had for his retirement, and he basically sold it, and he brought it to be accountable. He laid it at the apostles' feet. That's how they were accountable. He said, hey, I want you to know I'm bringing the full proceeds. You can check it out. Here's the parcel number for the property. You can go check out the property. You can go check out the assessor's office, what I paid for it. You can go check it out for yourself. Here's the full thing. I brought the whole thing for it there, and he presented it to them. Well, this man Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they were, they were believers. They were, they were people inside the church of Jerusalem. They saw this and they thought, well, you know what? We can get a good name for ourselves when we do the same thing. So they conspired between the two of them. We're going to sell a piece of land, but we're going to lead them to believe we're giving the whole amount. And we're going to tell them we're giving the whole amount, but in reality, we're only going to, we're only going to get a piecemeal. Now, that's like this. That's like a Christian. If I go up to somebody and say, hey, are you tithing? And they look me in the eye, and they, you can tell that they're not because there's something around. They know they've been caught by surprise, and they say, no, I'm not really tithing. And the records show they've not been tithing or they're given a faith promise, whatever it may be. And uh, so they're not doing that. But, but Ananias Sapphira basically said, well, I want you to know we sold this land. We're presenting it to you. But deep down in their heart, they weren't giving the full proceeds. Now, there was a work of God going on in the church of Jerusalem. I mean, holiness, the holiness of God was permeating the atmosphere. There was a great giving of grace giving. And there was the power of the Holy Spirit in pre preaching the gospel. And here's what happened. He said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land? Listen to this. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thy, in thy power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou was not light unto men, but unto God. You know what he's telling us by principle? If we're living a lie before other people, the truth of the matter is we're deceiving other people, but we're lying to God. We're lying to the God who saved us, who shed his blood on the cross for our sins, who gave his life for you and I. And you know what? God knows when we're lying. Zechariah chapter 5. Zechariah sees this incredible vision of a flying roll. It's a scroll of the Ten Commandments. And as he sees this flying roll, there's two sins in particular, two commandments that the Jews were breaking... And you have to remember, this is a post-exile uh, time. They, they, were, they were under the, uh, the Persians were in rule. And the Jews were back in Jerusalem, but they had not finished building the temple. The foundation was laid, but they hadn't built the temple. And this flying rope, God calls your attention to two commandments that the Jews were breaking. Commandment number eight, which was stealing. Commandment number nine, swearing falsely. That's kind of interesting. God called to the attention of the Jews there in Zechariah chapter 5 two sins that all of them were guilty of, stealing and swearing falsely or lying to God. And God's saying to, saying to us tonight, we need to evaluate our lives. We need, to see our, we need to see our sin just as God sees it. Are we telling God, we telling people we're in fellowship with God when in reality we're walking in darkness? Line number three, 
Lie number one is to the saints. Lie number two is to the Spirit of God. Lie number three is to the Scriptures. We're telling God in His Word it's wrong. Now, let's look at what he says in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned and make Him a liar, if we say we have not, that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. Now, that is very convicting. If we say we have not sinned, we're telling God, God, you're wrong and I'm right. Now, that's a, that's a bad place to be, amen? We're telling God, you're wrong and I'm right. We make him a liar, and it's basically saying the Scriptures, the Word of God is not in us. It doesn't matter how much you memorize the Word of God. If you're living in sin, you're still living in sin. So lie number three is we're lying to the Scriptures, but here's the worst part. Look at verse 8. Lie number four, we're lying to ourselves. That, that's bad. When we get to place, we believe our own lie. We're in bad, bad shape. We're in miserable condition. Verse 8 says, if we, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Number one, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, but you're saying you are saved, God says in His Word, you're lying and the truth is not in you. But God is also saying to us tonight, brother and sister in Christ, people I love, if in our frankness, in our reality, we're walking in darkness. If we say we have not sinned, God with tears coming down His cheeks and with a broken heart says, we lie and do not the truth. There are the requirements for fellowship. There can be a rupture in our fellowship. Notice the repentance for our fellowship. Look at verse 9. Walking in darkness is unconfessed sin. Verse 9, especially for every new believer, or if you're not very well grounded, you should memorize verse 9. Because verse 9, and I'll speak more about this in the following week. Verse 9 was given to us as a comfort, as an opportunity, so that you and I could have our fellowship restored. Let me say this tonight. God doesn't want us walking around with a ruptured fellowship. God wants us to have sweet fellowship. God wants you and I to get fellowship restored. God wants us to live in that platform where fellowship is restored. You know, when a husband and wife have a spat, they have a disagreement, and things get a little heated, nobody's happy at home. There's a cold war going on. But deep down inside, they both know, regardless of whoever's right, they know, you know what, we can't live like this. Or if a child and a parent has a rift, they both feel strong about where there's, this, where there's this differences, but both of them love each other enough, they don't want to live like that. What a wonderful, what a wonderful experience it is when a husband and wife who've had rupture in their fellowship get their fellowship restored. Or parents and children who have a rupture in their fellowship get their parents. That's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful, hey, let me say it tonight. It's a wonderful thing. If you're sideways with somebody in the Christian life, someone here at church, you know it's a wonderful thing. You get your fellowship restored. 
It's a wonderful thing. You don't have to look back and all these things and just say, you know, we're going to go forward. We're not looking backwards. We're going forward for Jesus. It's a wonderful thing. And God wants us to know tonight in 1 John 1, 9, that fellowship can be restored. And fellowship tonight will be restored. You can get your fellowship restored by God. And he tells us right here how that happens. Now, notice verse 9. If, now, the condition here, again, is up to us. If we, and by the way, I'm glad John said we, not if you. Because as a 90-year-old man, he recognized that he had a lot of sin in his life too. He says, if we confess our sins to him. Now, you're not confessing your sin to a confessional booth, to a priest, or pastor, or whatever it may be. Confession is to God. Amen? Confession is to God. Now, what does confess mean? What does confess mean? Let me give you the definition. Confession means agreeing with God with what He says. If He said in verse 6, we lie and have no fellowship with Him. If He said in verse 10, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Confession is saying, God, I agree with what you said about me. It is seeing our sin just as God sees it and calling it out. Confession is declaring our guilt before God, saying, God, I'm guilty as charged. I don't disagree with you. I agree exactly with what you said. God, I'm on the same page with you. I confess what my sin. That's what it is. We are conceding we are guilty as charged. Now, if God's Word, what He says, doesn't bother you, or convict you. The Bible says you lie and do not the truth, and you make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now this is a time right now, we need to do some deep introspective thinking. Because the bottom line is tonight, God wants more than anything else that every one of us have this sweet fellowship and communion with him again. And so look at what he tells us in verse 9. If we confess our sins to him, okay, we declare our guilt, about each and every sin, and uh, especially the sin of lying. And instead of not doing the truth, do the truth. Notice he says God's response to that. When we confess our sins to Him, notice the comma there. He is, I like that phrase, He is. That's unchangeable about God, unalterable about His character. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Now that's very important because... He's speaking about God's attributes again. We're going to continue to sin against God. There will be repeats of sin. But God is faithful. God is always there. God never changes on us. God is not flaking. He changes his attitude towards us. He's faithful, and I like the word just, and just to forgive us our sins. God weighs everything carefully as if he's weighing the balances. And he says, you know what? I'm going to forgive you for what you've done. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And then the Bible says, and to cleanse us. Now, it's not just enough that we have forgiveness. We also need cleansing. We need the slate made clear. Now, how does that cleansing occur? Look at verse 7. 
Verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now notice there, we see the efficacious, continuous working of the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of, his, of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Not the blood of a bull, not the blood of a goat, not the blood of a lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. You ought to give an amen for that right now. Cleanses us from all sin. All sin. All sin. Every sin. Past, present, future. Lying. Cheating. Worldliness. Idolatry. Maybe we haven't tithed. We can get restored. Maybe whatever it may be. God says in His Word, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God for that tonight. Amen? Thank God for that tonight. Now, let's pause here for a minute. I want to tell you a little bit about the spiritual life self-evaluation. I'm not going to read every verse because we don't have time. But I've given you three dimensions. Sins of the mouth, Sins of the mind, sins of emotion. I'm going to read them out to you. If you don't have it, I'm going to read it out to you. Sins of the mouth. May the Lord speak to us tonight. Blasphemy, which means taking the name of the Lord in vain, using God's name irreverently. Hey, have you, are, do you have a problem swearing? By the way, you watch my live stream, you got a problem swearing? That's, he's talking about here, blasphemy. Complaining. The Bible says in Numbers 11:1, 1, when the people complain, it displeases the Lord. If you're a complainer, God's not happy with that. And there's no such thing as light sins and heavy sins. They're all, they're all bad. I mean, blasphemy, complaining, critical words. He calls them grievous words in the Bible. Gossip, guile, filthiness and foolish talking, lying as we just saw, slander, swearing. I mean, I'm just, that's a partial list. Of sins of the mouth, sins of the mind or emotions, anger, bitterness, covetousness, envy, evil thoughts, hatred, judging, lust, malice, presumption, pride, conceitedness, arrogance, by the way, all of us should confess we all have pride. Amen? All of us have pride. All of us are conceited and arrogant about our ways. Okay? We, that ought to be right at the top there. Sins against the Holy Spirit where He's grieved. He's resisted. He's been speaking to you and you push Him off. That's resisting the Holy Spirit. Quenching the Holy Spirit. Unbelief. Unforgiveness. Unkindness. Wrath. Those are sins of the mind. Sins of the mouth, but notice sins of motion. This gets to be a little delicate right now. Adultery, complacency, disobedience to parents, fornication, hypocrisy, idolatry, laziness and slothfulness, lukewarmness, according to Revelation chapter 3, prayerlessness. Samuel said, God forbid that I should sin in ceasing to pray for you. By the way, if you're praying, but your praying is filled with vain repetitions that are not going anywhere, that's a sin. Self-righteousness, stealing, 
We can go on and on. Now, let me say this tonight. I'm not judging you. You need to judge yourself. I need to judge myself. But before we come to the Lord's table tonight, we're going to take a few extra minutes to confess, that is to agree with God, with what He said, and to concede we are guilty as charged. We see tonight, God desires us to have wonderful fellowship. The requirement is we walk in the light as He is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. And then the Bible says this, there can be a rupture in fellowship. We walk in darkness. There's sin. We're bothered by sin. And by the way, if you're having trouble with that, that's why we're studying First John. God can give us victory over that. There's repentance for the return of fellowship. And as I close tonight, I want you to consider the receiving in fellowship. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says this, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Now, we do not believe, we do not practice what the Catholics hold to, which is called transubstantiation, or the Lutherans, what they call consubstantiation, which is basically the same concept, where they believe when they take their host and their wine, it turns into the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible doesn't teach that. You're not cannibalizing Jesus Christ. It's wrong, erroneous teaching. But we do believe this. According to 1 Corinthians 10, 16, that when we partake of the grape juice, the fruit of the vine, the unleavened fruit, that that represents symbolically the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. And the Bible says we have fellowship with God because of the shedding of His blood. And the unleavened bread we're going to take, the unleavened bread is representation of His body. That is, it's the communion of the body of Christ. There's what he's saying. The long and short of it is, the Lord's table is a sweet time for you and I to have fellowship with our Lord and remembering that our Savior died on the cross for our sins. Jesus instituted the night of the Last Supper. And we're to continue, as we studied through 1 Corinthians 11 two weeks ago, we're to practice the Lord's Supper as a church ordinance in remembrance of Him. Here's what happens. If we don't do that, and it's been nine months since we've last done this, we don't do this recurringly. We forget that Christ died for our sins. We forget that He shed His blood for us. We forget that God gave His best for you and I. And we come to the Lord's table, albeit tonight it's a drive-in service, it brings us back to the place, full circle, of saying, Lord, I want back that fellowship. I want that sweetness. And so we take those first steps of getting restored in fellowship by confessing our sins and realizing by faith and according to the promise of His Word, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So fellowship gets restored. And then, as we receive the elements of the unleavened bread, and it's unleavened because leaven is yeast. Yeast produces corruption. We have to have unleavened bread. We cannot have bread that has leaven because leaven is a picture of sin. We receive that bread. It's a reminder to us as we take of it that it's the 
It's the body of our Lord. It, it, it's, a, it's symbolic of the body of Jesus Christ. We're not eating his body, but symbolic of his body that, that, was, that was crucified on the cross for us. Now tonight, all of us are going to receive a safely packaged, um, a safe package of the, of the elements we're taking. It's going to come in the form of a, like a coffee creamer. You're going to peel off the top, and on the top will be the unleavened bread. Now, when we bought it, we didn't have any choice in the matter. It's gluten-free. And it, to be honest with you, it's, going to taste, it's not going to taste like a cracker, okay? Uh, I'm glad I'm not, I'm not allergic to gluten, but, you know, it was kind of weird eating that. Now, some of you come from a Catholic background. You're going to hold it and eat it. You're going to think, okay, this, this is kind of reminds me of what I had in a Catholic case. It's not the same thing. It's not what the Catholics eat. It's, it's gluten-free. And I want you to get in your mind. Don't say Pastor Fong is leading us to the Catholic community. We're not doing that tonight, okay? But I want you to understand this evening that that's, it's just a gluten-free unleavened bread that we're going to take tonight. Then we're going to peel off a second layer. And the second layer has the contents of grape juice poured inside of it. And we'll drink that when we take the Lord's table. So we're going to do it in two steps. We'll, take, we'll have the, I'll pray, and we'll say, read some scripture, and we'll take the, the unleavened bread. And then, and then after that, we'll pray again, and we'll drink the grape juice. So it'll all be passed you one time. There's not going to be two different things passed. It'll be all passed you one time. Now we're going to receive that. And we want to remember that we do show the Lord's death until he comes. So we're going to take time this evening to receive the Lord's table. The deacons and staff, whatever other men we've recruited tonight, will be here to distribute that in just a moment. Now here's what I'd like us to do. God wants us to have fellowship with him. Amen? God wants to have sweet fellowship. Amen? God loves us, and we love God. We love God. Give me a honk if you love God. Amen? And tonight... Let's take that spiritual life self-evaluation very seriously. Don't, don't put it aside. If any of those things I read resonated with you, would you take a moment and say, Lord, I agree with what you said. I concede I'm guilty as charged. Call it out. Confess it. Tell him in the privacy of your car what's going on in your heart. So here's what we're going to do. Right now it's about seven minutes to six. We're going to take a few minutes. Would you bow your heads in your car? Close your eyes. And those of you watching my live stream, we're going to turn it off at this moment. But in your car, would you claim 1 John 1, 9? And have a sweet time of fellowship with God. Maybe your fellowship's doing great. Praise the Lord for that. But we still have sin in our life. If we say we have no sin, we lie and do not the truth, the Bible says. Let's take a moment now to confess our sins to Him. Then I'll beckon for the deacons and those men who will be serving to come to service all around the perimeter of this parking lot. Would you join me this evening right now as we take a moment to pray and confess our sins before God? <laughs> 